Our text for today is James chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And I'm reading this from the New King James Version. Verse 8, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Praise the Lord. And I would like to concentrate mostly on those last two verses. So we are to so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. And then in particular, verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There's probably a dozen sermons within that last verse. I'll only dedicate this one. But as I mentioned earlier in a message, it seems often to be a habit of us Christians to adopt a particular verse of Scripture as a favorite. And we sometimes call that verse our life verse. I actually have several of those verses, but one that has been very special to me from my earliest years is Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8. Those words, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Now, over the many years that I have treasured those words, I've often pondered their meaning and especially the impact that God intends for those words to have within my heart and within my soul as I encounter all the many often difficult circumstances of my daily life. The verse is only a few words, as you've noticed, but though only a few words, their meaning and their intent are vast, vast beyond measure, and especially when you consider how God would have us to apply those words in context of our scripture, such as this passage that's before us today. Now here first, God tells us in verse 8 of our text that it is good for me to fulfill the royal law by loving my neighbor as myself without showing any form of wrongful partiality. And then secondly, he tells me that I must not be judgmental towards my neighbor, but instead that I must always be compassionate and merciful. Now recall also the words that I just read from Micah 6. Their God is not giving me an option or a suggestion about my behavior, but rather those words, they're, they're a requirement of me. They are a requirement of me. Those words again, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Note also that the requirement there comes from God's own authority, from God himself. And yes, we often are held accountable by our neighbor, as spoken of here in these scriptures. We're held accountable by those neighbors that we treat for the way that we treat or mistreat uh, some of them. But that doesn't compare 
They're holding us accountable does not compare to what the consequences are that might be incurred from disobeying a command from God himself. Verse 13 tells us that of our text. It says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. That's James 2.13. So then, what is the requirement that God has for you and me? What is the requirement he's talking about there in Micah 6.8? Firstly, we are to always do justly. To do justly. And not merely in some general overall way of treating a person fairly. Yes, that. But our just treatment is to be in every minute detail part of that relationship with them. In every minute detail of it. And this word do, I'll show you what you should do, he says. And by the way, much of the book of James stresses being a doer. And so there in Micah 6, this word do, actually it infers a, a very vigorous intent. A vigorous intent. I must be fully forthcoming in my efforts so that he or she, whoever I am, being confronted by, they will clearly know, clearly know and appreciate that they are receiving my very best and just and right efforts to provide them everything that they rightly and justly deserve. Now, why do I mention that? How many times have you said to your children after they've asked you 10 times, can they do a certain thing? They'll wear you down and you'll finally say, well, okay. No, that's not what he's talking about here. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about having this vigorous intent of making sure that they know that what you're doing for them is being done justly and rightly. And as I do all this in obedience to God, I am to take personal joy in my giving and showing mercy to him or her. Because you see, the word love is all mixed into here. And that's what mercy is all about. Is It's a form of love. And I'm to do justly and love mercy with the humblest of heart. The humblest of heart. Knowing that God is taking special notice of all my efforts. And that he knows every thought and every intent of our heart. I mentioned that in Sunday school. God knows every thought that you and I think. He knows the intent of our heart. How often have I heard the kids at French camp when they get in trouble for having mistreated another person? They'll say, well, I was just kidding. No, it didn't even take God to know that what their intent was. I could tell. But God knows your and my heart. And he knows every intent of our heart. These precious words truly are an excellent reminder of how you and I are to behave as we navigate our way all through the many difficult obstacles of our day. But also, may I give us another reminder of what God has to say about this matter in a much fuller and expanded instruction given in Romans 12. And I'd really like for you to turn to Romans 12 if you would, because these words, it's a lengthy reading, but this goes into detail about how we really are to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. This is Romans 12, and it begins in verse 9. I'll read for you. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Verse 11. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Are you listening? Phrase after phrase of right 
and just treatment of another person, distributing to the need of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Wow, that one is especially needful. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Here's another one. Listen, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Aren't those delightful words of kindness and compassion and love? And folks, all of this is God's plan for you and me, His beloved children, as we rub elbows with people all throughout our day. And again, this is not at all an easy thing to do, especially considering all of the, and listen carefully, considering all of the remnants of the sin nature that remain embedded within each of our souls. None of these good and right responses come natural to us. We're coming out of a lifestyle of, of unbelief into this life with Christ. And we unfortunately bring some, perhaps many of those old habits with us. Our not being judgmental, but instead showing kindness and mercy towards other people, even in the midst of their worst of behavior, is truly, folks, it's truly an attribute of the Holy Spirit. And it can only be done with the Holy Spirit. And it's only as the Holy Spirit abides in us, in you and me, that godly behaviors such as these are able to show themselves. But folks, we must always remember that even though the Holy Spirit does abide within us, empowering all of our efforts, these godly behaviors, as I said a moment ago, they are not spontaneous. We do not spontaneously respond with a smile to someone who is being unkind to us. We ourselves and this is what God requires of us. He says, I'll show you what is required of you, O man. This is one. That we exercise our willful obedience. That we will to do His will. That's in John chapter 7. That we should will to do God's will. And it's only then we'll not get caught up in returning evil for evil. Only then will we be, we be able to humbly show kindness towards those who are not kind to us. And that's especially so for the people within the church. And he's talking about that. He's talking about how are we supposed to treat the brethren within our church? From the first moment, folks, that we became born again believers, you and I became this integral part of a very special body of people that these scriptures call the body of Christ. And as we learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we are now each a unique functioning part of this body. And the body depends upon you and me and what we will do at every moment. Our portion of the body lifting up and supporting all the other parts of the body. And when we consider the importance of the rest of the body, that we are to the rest of the body, it's no wonder that God commands us to love them, even though they are not easy to love. As part of the body of Christ, if we fall in our efforts to support those other parts of the body, they suffer. And they're not able to carry out then what they're assigned to do within the body. Let me read some of those things to you. He says, he says now listen, you're, you're living within this body 
of believers. And there's no room within this body of believers for petty jealousies and, and envy and strife and that sort of thing. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And they are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, listen, this is so important, you amongst each other, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We are intricately woven into the body of Christ. And you and I have responsibilities that we need to carry out. Else the whole body suffers. We can easily see from, from these descriptions that the Lord is giving to us that uh, though some parts of the body are just not very appealing. Some of the people that we know are just not very appealing people, their personalities. But you and I need to be careful, lest we think ourselves to be more appealing and more desirable than others within the body. If we do that, you and I may ourselves become one of those less desirable and less appealing people. And that's what he's talking about in showing partiality. Now, yes, you and I will be able to love one another in different ways, to different degrees, but we're not supposed to mistreat one another or think less of one another or treat one another as if they are less valuable within the body of Christ. That's the partiality that he's talking about. And yes, people are people. And again, as I mentioned a moment ago, some are easier to love than others. Some of them are even difficult to love. But there's, listen, there is a much greater purpose at stake in this function of the body of Christ than your and my personal comfort within relationships. Do you hear those words? There is a much greater purpose at stake in the function of the body of Christ than your or my personal comfort within those relationships. The plan that God is working out through us, especially in the evangelism and the discipleship of the world, is bigger. It is far bigger than your and my personal preferences for people, for their personalities, for their even potential benefit to us. And God here has given us specific guidance on how we are to conduct ourselves in those relationships. He says, speak, and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. These words, folks, are very revealing. You'll note that in this passage, God has given us two laws. He's given us two laws. The first law, he called it the royal law, and he explained it. He said that that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And now here in verse 12, he is also giving us another law, and he calls this law the law of liberty. What is the law of liberty? The law of liberty is essentially the gospel because what the law of liberty puts forth is that we have been freed, we have been set free from the bondage that you and I had in our life of unbelief and in the relationships that we had with those people we have been set free from the bondage to sin and self. And you and I are to obey 
God's commands. You and I are to obey God's commands. You and I often will think that God gives us simply some guidelines to go by, general guidelines to go by. No, no. When he gives a commandment, he means for us to follow it. Jesus went so far as to say in John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me and he will be loved by my father. Do you know what that means? That if you and I walk away from commandments such as this and say, well, I just can't get along with that person. I just don't relate very well with them. That doesn't matter. The body of Christ is bigger. And you and I have been freed from this bondage to sin. And it is our duty to show our brethren how the, the mercy that God shows to us. And to remember that although we might not easily see it, you and I, listen, you and I will often exhibit some of the same remnants of our old self that that person that you are not getting along with is also demonstrating. We would want our Christian brethren to be just as merciful and generous to us in our lapses. And so you and I need to respond to them with generosity. But also to listen, the Lord warns us here. He says, in that day of judgment, in that day of judgment, we will each be judged by this law of liberty. Were we set free? Were we truly set free? Did we live as if we were set free from sin and self? from our petty jealousies within the body of Christ. You and I are going to be judged by this law of liberty. And you and I need to conduct ourselves and our behaviors according to the terms of the gospel and to be doers of the duties prescribed there in that gospel. Our temperament and our conversation must always be in accord with the gospel because, again, as he tells us here, it will be the rule of the gospel by which we are judged and folks, just knowing this should compel you and I all the more to be merciful in our thoughts and in our treatment of other people. He tells us again, verse 12, Speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. From these words, folks, we can easily see that God is very, very serious very serious about what we think about other people, the way we behave towards them, the way we treat them. And in these words, God is telling us that we have no compassion. If we have no compassion and no mercy towards people now in this life, then he will not have mercy. And he'll not show mercy when we stand before him in judgment. I like what one of the commentators, Matthew Henry, said about this verse. He said, the doom which will be passed upon impenitent sinners will be judgment without mercy. There will be no mixture or reliefs in the cup of wrath and of trembling, the dregs of which they must drink. Those who show no mercy shall find no mercy in that great day of judgment. All the children of men in the last days will either be vessels of wrath or vessels of mercy. It concerns all of us to consider how we will be found on that day. Folks, those words of warning, Matthew Henry, they make it so plain that you and I dare not ignore his counsel. So then, as for us, for you and me, how are we to respond to these truths that God has set before us in this passage? Yes, it does at first glance seem a bit odd to our senses that simply showing wrongful partiality, wrongful favoritism, towards one person over another in the manner that's spoken of here would receive the same judgment as murder or as adultery. But again, as I said to us last week, 
with God and also now with us who have his righteous presence within us. The degree of sin, just how sinful we were, is not the question on that judgment day. It is rather the actual presence of sin in any form, at any level within us that determines our verdict. You know, judgment is actually taking place all during our lifetime. It's when we breathe our last. That's when the verdict is pronounced. And that's what he's talking about in these words. You and I don't like God's strict standards of saying just one sin is wrong and deserves hell. We might not like his standards, but folks, God cannot change his holiness and his character to suit our sensibilities or to suit our rationale. God is holy. He is absolutely holy. He cannot abide in the presence of sin of any form. If he allows himself to do that, then listen, he himself is no longer holy. He can never do that. And you and I should never ask him to. You and I should never ask him to go along with some sinful behavior that uh, we like to treasure within our own heart. So then our response can only be one thing, and that is that you and I need to join him in his holiness because he instructs us there to be holy as he is holy. And no, we'll not be holy, fully holy until we are with him in heaven. But God has made every provision that we need to obtain his holiness. And that's what's going to get us there into heaven. He'll impute his holiness into our soul. As our part in this response, as your and my part in this response to God's gracious love towards us, I like what one of my favorite writers, Oswald Chambers, has to say. And I'll repeat this often because I love these words. He tells us there that that which Christ has imputed into us, his righteousness, he imputed his righteousness within our souls at salvation. Oswald Chambers tells us, we need to work out then that which God has worked in to our souls. And he uses Philippians 2 as the basis. He says, work out, this is Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And he tells us then, how, do we, how are we enabled to do it? Verse 12, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We're to work out that which he has put within our souls. But we can also be confident that it is him who is enabling us to do that. And also here, and, and folks, by the way, you and I should never think that our salvation is an end all. It is just the beginning. The moment that we receive Christ as our Savior was only the beginning. You and I should never leave our Christianity in its infant condition. You and I need to help it, to work with it so it can grow. And following on to those verses in Philippians 2, we read, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And that's what we're living in. All you have to do is just listen for a moment to the news media. We are living in a crooked and perverse generation, but you and I are to be, have to take a step back from it as we live in amongst it. You and I, as he says here in, in Philippians 2, we need to let our light shine into the world, holding fast the word of life. Folks, listen, we are able to do it. Why are we able to do it? I shared those verses with you last week. It's Second uh, Peter 1, he tells us, his divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. 
It's through His divine power that we're able to carry all these forward. Now, as I close, one question. How will we know if this imputed righteousness of Christ is really taking place within our souls? It's as simple as these words imply. Our heart and our responses will begin to change and we'll be able to see those changes taking place. And so will other people. So will those people around us. They'll say, you know, she's a different person. He's a different person than the one that I used to know. We'll begin to change. Mercy will begin to triumph over judgment within us. We'll find ourselves wanting to stop being the way that we once were and instead wanting to show genuine mercy and have love, genuine love for each other. Praise be to God. So then he says, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Praise be to God. Let's pray.